The Heinemann Podcast is a production of Heinemann Publishing. Heinemann is a provider of resources written by real teachers for real classrooms. Heinemann values teachers as decision makers and students as curious learners. Discover the path to lifelong professional learning at Heinemann.com. Heinemann, dedicated to teachers. I'm Brad from Heinemann. Have you ever asked, during reading workshop, what kinds of meaningful work can students be doing independently while I confer one-on-one or with small groups? Lindsay Moses hears this common frustration among those who work with our youngest readers in her work with teachers around the country. That's why Lindsay, along with first grade teacher Meredith Ogden, wrote, What are the rest of my kids doing? In their new book, their goal is to help you move beyond assigning busy work to providing meaningful learning experiences that build independence over the year and ideally take the anxiety out of reading workshop. I recently talked with Lindsay via Skype, and I was curious how this book came to be. One of the things that we'd found as I've been working with teachers kind of all over the country and thinking about questions that teachers are asking for professional development as they're moving into a workshop model, the question I kept hearing was, what are the rest of my kids doing? So I understand the mini lesson. I'm feeling solid with my small groups or guided reading and conferring, but I'm concerned about how purposeful and meaningful that time is when the students are without me. And this question was particularly pressing in kindergarten through second grade. And so Meredith is a master teacher that I've been working with who is actually a student of mine. And we really wanted to deepen what her students were doing when they weren't with her. So she had taken up a workshop model. She had tried daily five. She had tried different reading response um, sort of activities. And She just said when we were setting goals for our first year of working together, she's like, I really want my students to love reading, to become deeper readers, and to be having thoughtful conversations about reading. But I feel like I need some support in how to get there, how to assess it, and how to continually make it better. I think you read chapters in all these books, and it's like a quarter of a chapter that says students will be independently reading and responding, and they can use that to talk about. Or maybe there's a chapter in a book. But we just found it wasn't that easy to just ask six-year-olds to read and respond to reading and be prepared for conversations about it for extended periods of time without a handful of scaffolds and supports. So that sort of... I don't know, put us into this couple of years of research where we tried different things, we monitored it, we videotaped it each week, we assessed it. Some things worked, some things didn't, but that helped us refine what we were thinking as we sort of worked through the process of researching it, but also preparing for the book. So by the time we did our second year of sort of building these purposeful learning experiences, um, we felt like we had really kind of refined the process assessment and procedures for supporting young learners and being independent with their their reading time. You open the book by addressing the concerns primary teachers have about independent learning. Talk about what you found in your research and your practice. So one of the things that we know and a lot of the research says is that students become better readers the more that they read. And so opportunities for independent reading is particularly important. But we've also seen some research that shows that unsupported independent reading isn't always the most effective use of time. So if students don't know what they're supposed to be doing, how to problem solve, um, if they're not on task, obviously it's not the best use of their time. And so some of the things that we found both in the research literature as well as the research we were conducting 
asking was that students need a lot of support for what the expectations are, how they choose books, how they might access texts that are too difficult or too easy for them, how they might prepare for conversations. And so these were all concerns that we had seen um, with Meredith and with other teachers that I've worked with. And so some of the things that we found was you really have to build in continual scaffolds and supports in order for young learners to be able to build stamina with their reading, in order for them to be able to document their process and what they're learning during that that time, and in order for them to debrief about how that time is going and to make it even deeper as the course of the semester or the year progresses. So you mentioned you work with Meredith for two years in her first grade classroom. Can you describe the student's independence capabilities at the beginning of the year versus at the end of the year? Yes. So um, the beginning of first grade, any grade, but first grade in particular is always interesting. Um, And so when they come in initially, sometimes they're not accustomed to doing a lot independently that isn't specifically teacher directed with an outcome. And so in the beginning of the year, we heard a lot of, I can't read, or it's really hard, or um, just struggling with even the idea of sitting in one spot for six minutes. I think when we first started talking about building reading stamina, we got to about 90 seconds before someone was not meeting expectations. (laughs) And we had to check back in about what it means to sit with a book, which sounds hilarious. But for anyone who's taught kindergarten or first grade, it just is a reality of what happens. So a lot of the work was about getting excited about reading and also not just um, focusing on decoding. So one of the challenges I think sometimes for kindergarten and first grade students is they feel frustrated if they can't decode all of the words or if their focus is just on letters and sounds and words and they don't know how to use images or retell or make sense of pictures or um, sort of doing that story narrative, then they become frustrated and they shut down. So they have to begin to understand not only what it means to be independent and to be with a book, even if you're not conventionally decoding, but also why we're with books. And it's to make sense, to understand a story, to begin to talk about it with other students or in the groups. And so in the beginning of the year, we saw a very short stamina for that, maybe 90 seconds. But as they began to understand what it was like to be with books, um, we've invited a lot of people into Meredith's classroom. She's been great. But by the end of the year, we have students who are running their own student-led discussion group. So they self-select text. They run their own conversations. They prepare for them. So they also monitor if someone shows up to a discussion group and they don't have inferential thinking on sticky notes. They're not allowed to participate. The students monitor that. And so the key is that all of the work that we're doing and building their strategies and their thinking and their reading and responding filters into something bigger, which is a reading community. And I think that builds a lot of independence because they're working towards, you know, reading partnerships or reading performances or discussion groups. And so from the beginning of the year with things like I can't read that or I don't know what to do to running and monitoring their own student led discussion groups, it felt like a huge success. Well, and you write about in the beginning of the book, uh, five principles and I, you know, one seemingly really important one that jumped out to me was choice. Why is choice so important? Yeah. Choice is probably the single most important thing that we found that supported with independence. And I think the, the first component is just, we're all more interested and committed to doing things or reading about things that we're interested in, whether you're 90 
four, five. And so we found when students begin to have buy-in in the text that they're reading, how they're responding, how they're engaging with it with other students, that the engagement went up, which also meant the time on task went up, which then also meant that their academic performance went up, right? Wow, so yeah. our, our focus was on independence and developing a love for reading and meaning making. But we also saw Meredith students made significant gains on some of the more formal measures as well. And we really do attribute that to the choice, the independence, the amount of reading that kids are doing, and that they're motivated and engaged in the reading world because we ask them to do things that real readers do, even though they're only six years old. Yeah. Uh, you, you, uh, all you and Meredith developed the term purposeful learning experiences or PLEs as you write in the book, describe what you mean by PLE. Yeah. So this was kind of tricky. I think part of the way we defined it was by what we were excluding from that category. And, um, so when we think about purposeful learning experiences, we want them to be things that students are doing without us, not to keep them busy or to keep them quiet, but something that's going to um, deepen their reading opportunities. So this is real world reading activities like reading, responding to reading, partner reading discussions. This is inquiry projects, so reading and research and responding. These might be having discussion groups or book clubs. But what it's not is it is not worksheets. It's not busy work. It's not nonsense words. Um, purposeful learning experiences need to be real world reading experiences. And I think sometimes, unfortunately, kindergarten and first and second grade students, in order to keep them quiet so that teachers can run their small groups, oftentimes this time involves a busy work, sometimes mm -hmm. in center settings, not, not that center settings are always that way, but sometimes it's like you go to a center and you're doing worksheets on the TH sound, right? But what we want students to be doing is building their reading habits, um, not completing activities that we've designed to keep them busy. Throughout the book, you describe six ways teachers can adapt their workshop model for emerging readers. Can you walk us through those? Yeah, I can. So, you know, this was something that came uh, almost when we were in the process or after the process. We were trying to document exactly what we did or how long it took to do everything from building stamina for independent reading book shopping, partner reading, strategy use. So in all of the chapters throughout the book, what we found was it was never just as easy as teaching them to do something and checking in on it. So for us, it kind of um, morphed into this six-stage process. And so we found that it was better to start with pre-assessing it. So instead of having a predetermined strategy or activity that we were going to teach, we wanted to check in. What do kids do when we ask them to shop for six books, for example, or to read with partners? So we always start with pre-assessment before we do any teaching. And then based on what we see them doing, we decide if they need support in that area or not. And then we move into the teaching. So typically any type of independence that we found needed some type of formal modeling instruction with guided practice with the students. So we might model what it looks like to um, use a comprehension strategy and document our thinking, right? And so we would teach that explicitly. And then we found that there were a couple of other stages that we wanted to take kids deeper to really make them purposeful learning experiences. That typically included some type of scaffolding. So rarely do students get it 
the first time. So they're going to need to try it out and we'll provide a little additional scaffolding to help them make sure that they're able to take up this learning experience that we're asking them to do. Um, whether it is having partner conversations about comprehension and retelling or inferences, or whether it's something as simple as bookshopping for appropriate text. And then we, we wanted to take it a couple of steps further. So then we move into what we call monitoring and refining. So you can't just introduce something and hope or assume that it's going to work well over the course of the rest of the year. So we had to find ways to monitor and refine what they were doing independently. We also did this because administrators want to see types of documentation and we want types of the documentation to see how students are doing. And so as we begin to take up, okay, um, you know, what are they doing well? Where do they need more support? Then we provide an additional sort of extension or kind of modeling or teaching to take their independence a step further or a step deeper. And then as we continue to do that, we kind of have one final stage, which is extending. So we need it to move beyond the sort of either traditional documentation or independence. We want it to be collaborative in nature and we want it to go deeper. So for example, um, for reading responses, that might be moving from beyond the initial reading responses and analyzing them for depth, but also then taking up characteristics of what the author's doing so they might use some inspired writing mm-hmm. as a way to respond to reading. And then the final component is assessment. So basically we move through pre-assessing, teaching, scaffolding, monitoring and refining, extending and assessing. And so it it's kind of a never ending process of always trying to find a way to nudge our young readers to move a little bit deeper into independence and meaningful reading. Something else that really jumped out to me is how much time you write about space, not only the students reading space, but teacher space. We really found that with the choice and the buy-in and purpose for reading as a community of readers, that the space defines a lot of that. Um, And if we want students to be independent, they have to be part of that community and they have to have ownership of that space. And so we don't actually have a large teacher's desk. We don't have a teacher's desk, actually, um, because we want the space to be a space of readers. We have some shelves where we store our things. Uh, but in general, we really try to work hard to define our spaces. So are they comfy reading spaces? Is it a library space? We have a wonder wall where kids can ask questions and identify new projects of inquiry. Everything that students need, they can easily access and monitor. Everything from sticky notes to books to notebooks to um, pencils and scissors, anything they might need, they can always access without us. Uh, And that's really important. And along with accessing the physical needs without us, they also have access to the anchor charts. So these ideas that we're introducing in lessons, maybe their fix-up strategies, maybe their comprehension strategies, or ways of talking with partners, they're displayed with visuals around the room. So even our uh, students who may not yet be decoding can access and remember ways of talking with other students. So in order to facilitate independence, we have to provide additional visual supports, reminders, and spaces where students can interact freely and they know what the purpose is, right? So if I go to read a novel, most of us wouldn't sit down in one of the hard plastic chairs and a desk sitting up, right? (laughs) We might sit on a couch or a comfy chair. So we've got couches, we have a loft, we have comfy spaces, we have beanbag chairs, 
We have quiet spaces, spaces where other students might be reading. The key is that students have to begin to um, take responsibility for where and when and how they're reading. But we also have to create accessibility to that by the way we create our physical spaces. So in the book, we do use, there are tons of pictures throughout the book to sort of make transparent um, options or opportunities for spaces that we found to be conducive to independence with young kids. Well, I absolutely love the title of this book. I think it's just so it just jumps right out at you because it's just it's such an obvious title, but it's an important question that we ask all the time, too. What are the rest of my kids doing? So as we wrap up, is there anything else you think people should know about the book or anything you, you want to add? No, I think I think the best thing I can tell you is it is probably the most honest and real recap of life in the primary grades and helping <laughs> six year olds be independent. And so throughout the book, we share you know, sometimes we had ideas that we thought would go really well and we tried them and they didn't. And we share those things too. So we talk about all of our learning over the course of a couple of years that we were lucky enough to document through video and photograph and reflection in this book as a way to really make transparent what it can look like with the successes and some of the challenges because you have both as you're trying to help young readers grow and be independent. My thanks to Lindsay for her time today. You can check out a sample chapter plus read some blogs and view a series of companion resources for the book right on Heinemann.com. That's all the time we have for today. Be sure to subscribe for more podcasts and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Plus, you can get a daily teacher tip right on your phone directly from Heinemann Authors by downloading the Heinemann Teacher Tip app. All this and more on Heinemann.com. Thanks for listening.